good morning and welcome. Happy Time Change Sunday. Depending on if you set your clock back or not, you may have thought you were walking in for for Sunday school or there may be somebody walk in at 11.30 and be super excited about the fact that church is almost over. Um, but whatever the case may be, um, it's good to see um, each one of you on this beautiful day in March. We uh, are gathered together to worship in the name of the Lord, and we're so glad that you took time out of your Sunday to be here with us. If you are watching online, welcome and good morning. If you're sitting out there, I've already welcomed you and just want to give you the opportunity to um, share prayer requests or information. Just There's a card that looks just like this in your bulletin. If you have one of those, um, I encourage you to, to use that. If you want to communicate prayer requests or share information, put it in the offering plate when we pass it around in just a few moments. And just please, if you do share email, um, if you do share prayer requests, let us know if it's okay to send that out over email or not, because we want to, to as best we can, honor um, your privacy if you choose to be that way. But we'd love to pray. We want to pray for you, and we want as many people as possible joining in that prayer. Let me just highlight a few things for you before... Um, Deborah Williamson is going to come and tell us about a, a service opportunity, a ministry fair that's coming up. The first thing is I want to let you know, we started the, we started the service with a video this morning to remind you about our Annie Armstrong Easter offering, that as we give and as we pray and as we go, our goal is to see more people in North America um, come to know Jesus, ultimately throughout the world. And our part in that, one of our parts, is through our giving, and our church goal is $3,500. You may have picked up the prayer guide last week. If you um, missed a few days or forgot about it, don't worry. Just make this your week of prayer and just start. Or maybe even better yet, just keep praying week after week for those missionaries and those stories that are listed there as we enter this season where churches all across North America are gathering together offering that goes for the work of the gospel in Canada, Mexico, and the United States. So please um, be praying about what God would have you to give toward that end. Second thing I want to remind you about is with the month of March came a new um, card to put on your refrigerator, or a new memory verse card. And I do apologize, not everyone has the large print edition um, like I have here, but I um, printed it big because I thought holding a little tiny card would not be very important. But um, our verse for this month reminds us of the calling that we have from Jesus to go. Therefore, and make disciples of all nations. That as we go about our daily business and whatever we do, we have a calling and a responsibility, and that is not only to take the name of Jesus with us wherever we go, but to speak the name of Jesus, to give account for the hope that is in us, and as we have opportunity to share how others can share in eternal life, in the abundant life that Jesus promises. So those are on the table right outside the door. Be sure and pick one of those up. Put it in your um, little magnetic um, folder thing if you still have one. If you do um, need one, I'll try to get some more or you can just pin it um, somewhere where you can see it and recognize it. Let me just remind you of a couple of other things and these are community oriented. Um, Next Step Women's Center, which is our pregnancy aid center here in Burleson, is having a night of songs and stories. It's Friday, March 24th at 6.30 at Pathway Church, which is um, down there on Renfro Street. Um, it's free. It's for family. It's a time of worship. 
It's a time of of learning um, through story about um, God's wonderful gift of life and the ministry of Next Step. Um, if you are tech savvy, you can scan that little QR code to find out more information. Um, if you want to, or you can um, contact Next Step or go to their, their website. And then the other service opportunity that we have is coming up on April 1st. And this is not an April Fool's joke. Um, we are assembling a team, and we are going to participate in the City of Burleson Trash Bash, which is the semi-annual trash cleanup around the town. It's a great time to be out in the community to pick up trash. Um, if you sign up, it includes a T-shirt, a pizza lunch, and there's a raffle and a drawing, and that's held at Warren Park here in Burleson. So it'll be a, a fun time. It'll be a time of service. And if you would like to be a part of that, there is a sign-up sheet that is now on the table right there at the back there's a green sign that says there's a sign up and um, just enlist yourself into um, our trash bass team and know that um, we will be under the capable leadership of our trash bash captains um, and that's rich and sue Moore. and so um, if you want to be a part of that please take time to sign up and now deborah williamson is going to come and tell us about our upcoming ministry team service Anyway, oh, there it goes. <laughs> Thank you. Um, the staffing committee that consists of uh, Brian Mitchiff, uh, Stephen McIntyre, Michelle West, Bethany Hoyler, and Sitka Mitchiff, and myself, um, as we're trying to determine if additional staffing is needed, first thing we decided is we really need to redo our committee. You know, with COVID, everything kind of ground to a halt. And so we really want you to be praying. If you're not serving somewhere, we want you to be praying where could you serve, okay? If you're serving in several committees, several places, you might consider picking one or two so that some others might be able to serve. I know when Bob and I moved to China, that was our biggest concern because we were involved in a lot of different things. And lo and behold, everybody stepped up when we left. So sometimes we get in a position or on a committee and we stay there. And so consider trying something else. Let the Lord lead you. Uh, we will have a meal, so bring something to eat afterwards. Come early because we're going to have tables set up on both sides. So you can look and see what the committees do and ask questions if you have them. And uh, you'll see a long list here. So there's definite needs that we have. Like in the media, multimedia committee, we don't have hardly anybody. We really need people who are skilled in that area. Some of you are not. Okay, we know who you are. But uh, some of you are and could do that job. So uh, we just encourage you to put it on your schedule. Don't miss it. Thank you, Deborah. And that's coming up on March 26th. So that's very um, coming up rapidly. So make plans to be a part of that, to share in the meal and see how God might want to use you to be of service in our body. Um, I'd like us to read this morning from 
Galatians chapter 4. And we'll start there in verse number 23, and we'll read into, actually, sorry, Galatians chapter 3, and we're going to read into chapter 4, starting in verse number 23 of chapter 3. And then we'll read down through the first seven verses of chapter 4 before the gentlemen come to receive our offering. Listen to the words that Paul wrote to the church in Galatia. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Gentlemen, will you come as we receive our
stand and sing with us this morning.
Thank you. May be seated. Bible, you can turn over to Esther chapter 7. We'll uh, begin there in just a moment. Um, it's wonderful to sing songs that celebrate the wonderful gift of hope that we have in Jesus, our, our Savior. Truly, we have been born again to a living hope through the one, the Bible says, is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And we are thankful that in him we find rest, because he is the one who calls out to us, come all you who are weary and heavy laden, and you will find rest for your souls. So thank you, worship team, for those wonderful words of encouragement, words of faith. And we're reminded that the God of all Creation is the God who intervenes in all things and can change circumstances in an instant. Speaking of that, have you ever been losing a game and thought to yourself, maybe I could just quit? Or you wish you could trade places with the other person. Maybe you're getting just crushed on the checkerboard and you just wish that you could just turn the table a half turn and then you could be the red checkers instead of the black checkers. Or maybe you're playing a soccer match and the score is incredibly lopsided and you wish that those goals could be credited to your team and taken away from the other team. And there's a saying that people like to use in those situations and it says, you know, that somehow the tables are turned, that a position of disadvantage all of a sudden becomes a position of advantage. Sounds like a great idea, playing a game. It doesn't happen very often unless you happen to be playing a game with a grandparent on the other side. And then, 
you know, they're, unless they want to teach you the principles of losing, um, many times they um, handicap themselves, lose on purpose, and um, will let you gain the upper hand. And while it's fun to talk about games and sports, sometimes in life we find ourselves in situations and circumstances that we think are irreversible. You feel stuck. You're on what some people would call a, a dead-end street, or maybe you're at that place where you say, I'm at the end of my rope. Any of those circumstances, you'd say to yourself, if something does not change, you just don't know what you're going to do. What do you need? You need someone to reverse the situation, to step in and turn the tables, or in short, <coughs> you need a miracle. And I want us to think about today just simply this, that only God can reverse what seems to be irreversible circumstances. It's only God. And we'll see how God reversed circumstances in the story of Esther. In fact, we're already beginning to see those things, how things turn for Mordecai. Things turn not in a good way for Haman. And things turn for both Esther and her people. And then hopefully we'll celebrate toward the end of the service that there is a, the greatest reversal in all of history that unlocks the power of reversal in our own lives. As we did last week, I don't want to read all of chapter 7 and chapter 8, but I do want to read portions from each chapter to set our text, our context for today. We'll begin in chapter 7, we'll just read the first six verses, and then we'll start reading in chapter 8, beginning with verse number 3. So chapter 7, verse 1, begins like this. So the king and Haman went into the feast with Queen Esther. And on the second day, as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king again said to Esther, What is your wish, Queen Esther? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom, it shall be fulfilled. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my wish be granted me for my wish and my people for my request. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. We have been sold merely as slaves, men and women. I would have been silent, for our affliction is not to be compared with the loss of the king. Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther, Who is he, and where is he? Who has dared to do this? And Esther said, A foe and an enemy, though this wicked Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. And then chapter 8, starting with verse number 3. Then Esther spoke again to the king. <clears throat> she fell at his feet and wept and pleaded with him to avert the evil plan of Haman the Agagite and the plot that he had devised against the Jews. When the king held out the golden scepter to Esther, Esther rose and stood before the king. And she said, If it please the king, and if I have found favor in his sight, and if this thing seems right before the king, and I am pleasing in his eyes, let an order be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, which he wrote to destroy the Jews who were in all the provinces of the king. For how can I bear to see the calamity that is coming to my people? Or how can I bear to see the destruction of my kindred? 
please join me as we pray. Jesus, we thank you that we have in this beautiful story of Esther the, the wonderful promise of your transformation, of the way that you can work reversibles when things seem hopeless, that you can change circumstances and situations for your glory and for our benefit. And we're so thankful for that. Help us as we open these words, as we look at a, an interesting story, an exciting story, to not miss the greatest character in the story, and that's you and your son, Jesus, that we would lift him up high. He would show us our Savior and show us ourselves and help us to align ourselves with our King, the one who is the Christ, Jesus. And we pray in his name. So if you remember last week, we saw the wonderful time when Esther goes before the king for such a time as this, and she wins favor with the king, and then the king has the night where he can't sleep. And we see the situation where Haman is humbled by honoring Mordecai with honors that he thought were going to be for himself. And this week, the reversals just continue to happen. And we'll see how the tables become turned on Haman, how it benefits this man Mordecai, and how it ends up in providing rescue or salvation for the Jews. And hopefully through these, we can encourage ourselves and our faith in the God who can reverse things that appear to be irreversible. There's a brief outline that will help you follow along. There's three points. And the first thing, which really covers the first ten voices, verses of chapter 7, is simply this. Haman is hanged. Chapter 6 ends, and Haman is hurrying off to the second feast with Queen Esther and the king. And so there's a time of wit, of wine, and there's a time of feasting. And after the feast, the king asks Esther, What is your wish, Queen Esther? Second time he's asked this question. Esther delays it the first time. This time she's ready to get an answer. He wants to know what her request is. He says, I'm going to grant it for you, and it will be anything up to half of my kingdom. And what does Esther ask for? She asks for her life to be spared, and not only that, but the life of her people. You see there in the text, if I have found favor and it pleases the king. So she's still acting with honor for the king's position. Now we know she has his favor. She, we know she's pleasing to him because the king asks her to present her request. In verse 3 you see that, let my life be granted in the life of my people. Now you notice in the language there, the king wants to know what's your wish and what's your request and Esther provides the exact answer. Her wish and her request is that she and her people be spared. And then she goes on to tell them why there is danger. She says, we've been sold to be destroyed. Someone has betrayed us to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated. Now those words may sound familiar because they're the exact words that are used in the language of Haman's decree. Remember when he wants to not just kill Mordecai, but all his people. He wants them to be destroyed, killed, annihilated. So it's desperate for the Jews. They're in deep trouble because there's someone who's plotted against them. And the king wants to know, who 
is he? Where is he? Esther, if there's someone out there, let me know who it is. And there's this interchange between the king and between Esther, and there's these short, dramatic statements. And, this, and the king starts with these, this burst of questions. Who is he? Where is he? Who has dared to do this? And then you have the response from Esther. It's a foe, an enemy, the wicked man, Haman. Now, we came from a Purim celebration on, um, on Monday at a Messianic congregation. And if you've never been to a Purim celebration where they tell the story of Esther, it's just customarily that whenever they say Esther or they say Mordecai, everybody cheers. And when they say the name Haman, boo. And I know someone here is just dying to boo Haman. And so I want to just kind of purge our systems from this. And so I'm going to say an enemy, a foe, an enemy, the wicked man, Haman. And that is your opportunity to boo. Okay. I won't take it personally. I know you're not booing me. You're booing Haman. So, Esther's response is, there's a foe and an enemy, the wicked man, Haman. Doesn't that feel good? He's the bad guy in the story, right? So, Haman is the guilty party. And it just so happens that Haman is seated at the table with the queen and the king. And what we see next is the wrath of the king. The king rose in his wrath. Not only does he stand up, but you could probably imagine, you know, you've seen those cartoons where the red just starts down here and comes all the way up and then out of the head and then all of a sudden steam. The king's hot. He's mad. So he leaves in a rage, and there's Haman, and there's Esther. And at this point, Haman is between what you might call a rock and a hard place. It's a no-win situation. He doesn't want to follow the king because... The king's mad. But if he stays with the queen, he's in even bigger trouble because the court rules said no one was allowed to be with a woman of the harem, especially the queen. And so the king exits, and it's just Haman, and it's the queen. So he's in a bit of a pickle. He takes advantage of the situation. He knows he's not going to get anywhere with with the king because he's angry. So he begins to beg for his life to Queen Esther. And just as the king comes back into the room, just as great drama would have it, Haman falls on the couch. Now, it's interesting if you read some of the rabbis, and some rabbis, like a lot of preachers, don't always stick to the facts of the story. And some rabbis suggest that Haman didn't fall, that he was actually pushed. And it was the archangel Gabriel that pushed Haman onto the couch. Either way, he falls on the couch, He's begging for mercy, and just as that happens, the king comes in. And he says, Will he even assault the queen in my presence? Insert into the story a big gulp from Haman, probably a, oh, no. And as soon as the words left the king's mouth, the story tells us that the attendants cover his face, they carry him away, and at this point who I would call helpful Harbona, one of the king's attendants, points out that there just so happens to be a really nice gallows built right in front of Haman's house. Oh, king, look on over there at Haman's house. It's 50 cubits high. It's right in front of the house. It's meant for Mordecai. It would be perfect. And the king says, hang him on that. And so what happens? Haman's 
hanged on the gallows built for Mordecai. And so you see the tables are turned. Haman thought he had Mordecai right where he wanted him. He had the gallows made. He was excited, but God had another plan. The instrument of death that Haman had constructed was now used to hang himself. And chapter 7 closes. Look at verse 10. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he prepared for Mordecai, and the wrath of the king abated. Reminds us of some truth that we need to, to know that it may always seem to us that the wicked are prospering. But it's only seasonal because if they don't repent, they're going to receive their punishment. Galatians chapter 6 verse 7 says, Don't be mocked. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. In Numbers chapter 32, another way of putting that is our, our, your sin is going to find you out. Nobody gets off scot-free. There's no free passes. But while sin, as the Bible says, can be crouching at your door, God provides a way of escape. And while it was too late for Haman, it's not too late for you. It's not too late for me. Think about what Paul wrote. Romans chapter 7, verse 24 Wretched man am I, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then verse 25, thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so there is a way for us to be freed from the circumstances of our actions if we repent. But back to the story. At this point, Haman's no more. But Mordecai still needs to be honored and... There's still a death warrant out for the Jews. So we still need to see more situations reversed for the story to come out the way that we want to and to have a happy ending. And while Haman is hanged, we see that the second thing is that Mordecai is rewarded. You can see evidence of it in the first two verses of chapter 8 and in verse 15. Now that Haman's out of the picture, the king, Ahasuerus, needs a num another number two man. And who better to bring to that position than the man that had saved his life, who just so happened to be the guy that Haman hated and wanted to kill, and also happens to be a Jew and the adoptive father of Queen Esther. So chapter 8 starts with, the king giving Haman's estate to Queen Esther and tells her basically, do with it as you please. So God's taken from an enemy of the Jews and blessed Esther, the queen, who is a Jew. And then the following verse in verse 15 tell us how the process of honoring Mordecai takes place. First thing is he gets a signet ring, that symbol of Authority that was first given from King Ahasuerus to Mordecai was taken back from Mordecai and then now transferred from the hand of the king to Mordecai is what the story tells us. And so literally on his finger was the royal seal of approval. 
whoever wore that ring had the authority of the king and had the ability to use that ring to show that a decree issued had the backing of the king. They would use that signet ring to seal documents. They would stamp hot wax. And if it was a document sealed with a signet, it was official. It was from the king, and everyone knew that you did what it said. So it doesn't stop there. He gets a signet ring, but he also gets royal robes. <coughs> it's a transformation where Mordecai goes from being dressed in sackcloth and ashes to having royal robes. Look at verse 15. Then Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal robes of blue and white, with a great golden crown and a robe, fine linen and purple. And the city of Susa shouted and rejoiced. So Mordecai is looking sharp. Gold crown on his head, blue and white robe, and then a fine linen robe on top of that. He's gone from sadness and mourning to being lifted to a place of authority. He has been under a death sentence, but now he's been given the freedom to live and even to rule. He went from being a palace outsider who was only allowed to be there in the, in the courtyard to being actually inside the palace, to be second to the king. And the honor that was initially given to Haman is now given to Mordecai, including the house of Haman. Now remember, the first part tells us that King Ahasuerus gives that as a gift to Queen Esther. And so all the riches of Haman are given to Esther. And then Esther turns and gives those to Mordecai. And so in this time of reversal between Haman and Mordecai, you see that the circumstances change, their positions change, and even their possessions trade hands. And you can read in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22, that reminds us that a good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. So Haman's gone. Mordecai is now the number two man. But Esther still has work to do. God still has something for her to be about. Another reversal needs to take place. And I want you to think about, remember Haman's edict. You may need to flip back a couple of pages. Chapter 3, verse 13. This is the, the death warrant that was issued. It says, letters were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with instructions to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all Jews. Young and old, women and children, in one day, the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods. It had the king's seal on it. It can't be revoked, but is there any possible way that it could be reversed? And so the last thing you see in your outline is that Esther pleads for her people. It's the majority of chapter 8. And if you look at verse 3, we find Esther again speaking to the king. And look at how she approaches him. She falls at his feet. She's humble. She's honoring and respecting the king. She's weeping. She's crying. She's 
grieving over the circumstance of her people. And then she makes her urgent call for help. Help King reverse the evil plan of Haman. The king holds out the scepter. Esther still got his favor. And the king says, let an order be written. Revoke the letter devised by Haman. This is her request, to revoke the letter, you know, the letter that he wrote to destroy all the Jews. And verse 6 says, how can I bear to see the calamity that is coming to my people? Or how can I bear to see the destruction of my kindred? So you see the intense intercession of this queen on behalf of her people. She's going before the king to, to ask for him to spare their lives. And so they develop a plan. And what's the plan? The king tells them to write as you please with regard to the Jews. Now at this point, he's speaking to both Esther and Mordecai. So you have a Jewish queen and a Jewish second-in-command, and the king allows them to write an edict for the benefit of the Jewish people. And this edict, this decree from the king is written to reverse Haman's order, but this time it's not only written in the languages of the realm, but it's also written in Hebrew. It's addressed to the Jewish people. Listen to verses 11 and verse 12 of chapter 8. This is what they wrote, saying that the king allowed the Jews who were in every city to gather and defend their life, to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate any armed forces of any people or province that might attack them, children and women included, and to plunder their goods. On one day, throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, on the 13th day of the 12th month, month, which is the month of Adar. So the original order, we just read it earlier, remember had those words to the order to kill, destroy, kill, annihilate the, the Jews? So since that couldn't be revoked, Esther and Mordecai, with the king's blessing, just write another order that gives the Jews the ability to defend themselves if they happen to be attacked. And it uses the very same language that they have the privilege to destroy, kill, and annihilate their enemies, even women and children, and to plunder their goods. And in the same way we see it written in chapter 3, the order is written in the name of the king. It's sealed with the king's signet ring, and then it's delivered by the king's couriers who ride swift horses. So it's quickly distributed throughout all of the provinces of Persia. Now, the first one was still in place, but at least now the Jews have a chance to live by defending themselves. And verse 13 says the Jews were to be ready on that day to take vengeance on their enemies. What you have here is is really stunning that everything that took place that was not good in chapter 3 is reversed. The death sentence is replaced with an opportunity for them to receive life. It kind of reminds me of the truth that, you know, apart from Jesus, every one of us has a death sentence on us. God's righteousness, His 
holiness demands from us what? Holiness and righteousness, which we can't provide. We can't be either one. We can't be holy on our own. We can't be righteous on our own. And as a result of that, we are deserving of death. Now, what did God do? God didn't change his standard. God never changes his standard. And while he didn't change his standard, he did send his son. He sent Jesus to to pay the price of death for you and for me. His blood, the Bible tells us, speaks a better way. It's the blood of the new covenant, the blood that satisfied God's righteous demand for justice. And we see in this story, this wonderful decree written to bring life, a picture of the new covenant that Jesus secured on our behalf. And so when you read your Bible, you can see these gospel hope, gospel hope just, just glimmer off the pages. It's it's through of its story, it's the story of redemption from, from beginning to end, and we see the goodness of our God to make a way where there doesn't seem to be a way. So back to the story with Haman dead and the plan for the Jews to be saved in place. Susa is relieved and the Jews celebrate. And so we have a plea, we have a plan, and then there's a party. The appointed day was not there yet, but the good news had already began to spread. There was shouting and rejoicing that replaced the confusion and calamity in the city of Susa. For the Jews, it was gladness and joy to replace the grief in the morning. And as a result, they set aside time to celebrate a feast and a holiday, the Bible tells us. And you see those, those words in, in chapter 8, the, the wonderful celebration the Jews had. Look at verse 16. The Jews had light, gladness, joy, and honor. So they are full of excitement. They are full of joy in their hearts because what their God had done for them in verse 17 says, And many from the peoples of the country declared themselves Jews, for the fear of the Jews had followed them. So not only was there a surprise, you know, this celebration, but there was also, depending on how you look at it, either some surprise converts, some Gentiles that decided to become Jews, or some opportunistic folks that decided, well, we better be Jewish if we want to try to save our lives. I tend to think that it was probably those that were surprised converts being some of those first fruits of Gentiles that received salvation. But the thing that we do know for certain is that from the beginning of the story, things have changed drastically. The beginning, it was dangerous to be a Jew. The Jews were afraid. The Jews were mournful. And now, what does it say? There's fear of the Jews. They are joyful they're celebrating and now the gentiles those people from persia are choosing to identify with them <clears throat> and many what would seem to be unlikely reversals have turned the tables for god's people and we see all through the story that it's his hand that continues to work in the everyday lives of 
that he still changes circumstances and situations. But what we have to left is to find out what's going to happen when the 13th of Adar rolls around. But we'll have to wait for that. But let's be reminded as we conclude today that only God can reverse what seems to be irreversible circumstances. It's all through the story of Esther and it still happens today. So as we close today, I want you to think about what I said at the beginning, the greatest reversal in history that unlocks the power of reversal in our lives. If you have your your Bible there, just turn over into the New Testament to the book of Romans. Turn to Romans chapter 5. And I want us to look just to read verses 6 through 8. And then we're, that'll bring us down toward the close. Romans chapter 5, verses 6, 7, and 8. while we were still weak at the right time Christ died for the ungodly for one will scarcely die for a righteous person though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners Christ died for us see faith in Christ unlocks the transforming resurrection power of when we sing that song, Living Hope, I love it when it gets to the, the, the building part of the song where it talks about, you know, Jesus rising from the grave and securing victory. Then came the prom- then came the morning that sealed my promise. A new body began to breathe. And that transforming power. The same power, the Bible tells us, that, that raised Jesus from the dead can be alive in you and should be alive in you. That God's transforming power has reversed the curse of sin, transformed us from death to life, and renews us day by day. It turns the tables on the circumstances of your life as you look to Jesus, our Savior, and in response to that, Let me just suggest that we should be continually, daily, running to our Savior. That we have a king above all kings who is both holy and righteous, loving and compassionate. We should run to the Savior. Often. What does that take? It takes... Jesus spoke about denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following Him. It's humility, it's brokenness, it's repentance. All those things. But when you run to the Savior, when you've denied yourself, you can tell Him your burdens. You share your heart. He knows, He understands. If you're a little ticked off, He can handle it. He's God. If you're doubting and you're fearful, he's okay with that. He's God. Just come to him. Be honest. But then be willing to let God be honest back to you as he speaks. So tell him your burdens, but also be willing to listen to his voice. He speaks. 
of faith and anticipation, trusting and believing in what God can do. Because we serve a God who can reverse what seems to be like irreversible circumstances. When Jesus gave his life on the cross and rose from the dead, that great victory that seemed like defeat unlocks the power of reversal, of regeneration, of new life in those who call on his name. So why don't we call on him now? Will you pray with me? Oh, Lord Jesus, we're so grateful for your wonderful love, your goodness toward us, your kindness which your word tells us leads us to repentance. And that repentance is not just a one-time thing. It's a, it's a daily, moment-by-moment course correction of moving from out of line to in line, of moving from off course to on course. And Lord, as we ponder the thought that you can reverse situations that seem irreversible, ability that you have, the willingness that you have. But God, also help us to see your plan and your purpose. That sometimes maybe the circumstance doesn't change. Maybe the sickness doesn't go away. Maybe the hurt is still there. Maybe the pressure is still there. But you promised to be with us. And while the circumstances may not change, because you never change, you transform us as your children from the inside out, giving us new hope, a new perspective, and new life. So Jesus, this morning, help us to look and see you high and lifted up in all of your glory, to see you as a reigning king, as a compassionate advocate, as a faithful redeemer, and as the one who is the giver of life to the full. Thank you, O Lord, as we ponder these things, speak to our hearts and our minds and change us for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Jackie's going to play on the piano. It's an opportunity for us to respond to the God that can reverse the irreversible, to celebrate the joy of being a child of God, to call out to Him, to share our burdens with Him, or perhaps one another. If you need somebody to pray with, somebody just grab somebody, I'll be at the front. Or maybe this is the day that, because you listen, you thought, undergone that reversal. I've never put my trust in Jesus and allowed him to change the course of my life from death to life. And today can be that day, simple trusting faith. Whether you stand, kneel, or choose to remain seated, listen as the music plays. Most importantly, listen to the heart of the Father as he speaks to you, and let's respond to his voice. Thank you. 
being here this morning. Um, it's been good to be in the house of the Lord together and listen to the truth of His Word. I just want to give you the, the heads up next Sunday morning. We'll have a special guest with us. Um, some of you know, some of you may know Bob Massey. Bob Massey is a, um, has been a minister, a fixture in Burleson for, for many years. He most recently was pastor of, of GraceWorks Southwest. Um, he has a very interesting story, a really interesting journey of grace. In fact, when he, he named um, his church, um, he named it Grace Works because in his um, understanding, grace does work. And so it's Grace Works. Um, he has since retired. He is now the, what is his official title? Elder Emeritus at his um, son's church up in Keller. Um, and he is um, the lifelong um, treasurer of the Burleson um, Christian Ministerial Alliance because we won't let him resign and nobody else will, will take the, um, the position. But I would describe Bob as a, um, a lover of people, a pastor, um, to pastors, and um, he's a dear friend. And I've never, um, other than maybe five or ten minutes, um, I've never heard him preach. Um, but I can tell you that the things that come out of his mouth and the words that he he posts on Facebook um, speak of the love and the grace of Jesus and the joy that has filled his heart. And so um, I invited him to come be with us. Um, he'll be here next Sunday morning, and you certainly won't want to miss it. I'm personally looking forward to it. I think you'll be blessed as well. Um, the worship team's going to come up, and we're going to sing. And while they're coming up, I just want to thank you for being here. Just to remind you that um, take opportunity to sign up for Trash Bash if you want to be a part of that. Um, keep that flyer about the ministry fair that's coming up. It's a wonderful opportunity to get plugged in and to be a part of serving. And be praying about what God would have you to give for the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. Where we're going to sing together, and as we um, as we sing, once we finish singing, after we sing, it's kind of new to us. We're used to hearing the music and going, but after we're finished singing, um, you're dismissed. So Lord bless you. Let's stand together and sing. <laughs>